Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6:30, Chad. One of those themes tonight is what coaches say to their players, whether it's uh, something out of angry or uh, out of anger or something to motivate them. Jason Moss today obviously extremely upset with the Edmonton Eskimos, gave them a, a verbal lashing after practice today. Uh, Tony Washington was kicked out of practice. Uh, Jason Moss you know, as Morley said earlier, he's all about work and the players were distracted and not doing the work and Moss got pretty upset. And my point is, yes, Jason Moss is a fiery guy. We've seen him as a player uh, lose his temper a little bit. I also think there was some uh, maybe premeditation in this from Moss, maybe a little bit of showmanship, if you want to call that, to, you know, maybe to get his team to focus a little bit and snap them back and maybe maybe make himself uh, the bad guy a little bit rather than have guys going at each other. Along those lines, there, there's the story from the 1982 Eskimos season. This was the team that had already won four consecutive Grey Cups. They lost the Labor Day game in Calgary, and they were 3-5 and five halfway through the season. It was a 16-game season then, so they were in danger of not even making the playoffs. Forget about trying to win the Grey Cup again. And uh, Hugh Campbell, the coach of the team at the time, as legend goes said after the game in Calgary, look, we're winning the Grey Cup. Here's a line in the locker room, who's with me? If, if you're not with me, fine, I'll release you tomorrow, no hard feelings. And that, that was the story. So Hugh Campbell is going to be inducted into the Edmonton Sports Hall of Fame on Monday. I was able to interview Hugh last week, and I asked him about that moment in, in 1982 for his recollection of it. There's always excuses, but there were things going on in that season. We had five players that were pretty key players injured. One of them was Jim Germany, who never missed a blocking assignment protecting our quarterback, and he was a, a running back. But what we said then, we kind of did like Davy Crockett or something. We drew we drew a line in the locker room and said, uh, "I said I, I'm going to the Grey Cup, and anybody else uh, that wants to go, I hope you'll come over here with me." And everybody, of course, crossed the line. And uh, we never lost another game that year. Yeah, 8-0 the rest of the way. First in the West, won the West Final, won the Grey Cup. Reed Wilkins, Inside Sports on 630 Chet. So it is true, he, he did inspire his team that way, though as he pointed out, and, and the, there's a longer clip to that, I, I sort of took the best part, but he did say they got Jim Germany and four other four or five other injured guys back. So it wasn't all just motivation. It helped that the roster got a lot better. Bob Stoffer, host of Oilers, now joins us. And I know you remember those Eskimos dynasty teams very well and the huge impact of Hugh Campbell. I love that story, though, Bob, because he was looking, away to, looking for a way to get his team to focus. An experienced championship team clearly worked as they went on their way to number five. Yeah, well, 
it's interesting, you know, is I went to Harry Emily Composite High School at that time, and uh, Jill, uh, Jill Campbell, his daughter, was in the school. She was friends with Craig Parks and so, some of uh, the hockey guys. And, you know, I just thought the world of him. You know, and that's it's funny hearing that voice and hearing that interview. Like, he still sounds the same. Uh, this was a guy that, you know, I think he had a 750 winning percentage as a head coach in the CFL, and he lost one playoff game in six years with the Eskimos. He lost 77 staple game in the, in the Grey Cup. So, uh, you know, he was the best coach in CFL history. Um, I, I got a funny one for you. He, uh, he ends up going to Las Vegas or Los Angeles and goes to Houston. And so I'm at the convention itself and I'm working there and I'm going up the elevator and there's Hugh Campbell. And I look at him and I go, so who's it going to be? Oliver Luck or Gifford Nielsen for a quarterback? And he just smiled at me and started to shake his head, right? He thought that was hilarious. And Oliver Luck uh, ended up, that's uh, Andrew Luck's dad, who uh, Oliver Luck ended up being an athletic director right, in the NCAA for a number of years. Uh, and Gifford Nielsen was out of Brigham Young University. And then three years later, he's back at Edmonton. And, and this now we're going about 1986. And I'm watching uh, uh, friends of uh, my sisters uh, were playing for uh, Harry Inley in, in, the, in the high school championship. And I'm standing there watching the game. And I'm like 20. Or, I think I just turned 20. And I'm watching the game. And he comes walking by me and goes, hey, the Oliver Luck fan. <laughs> Remembered, like, I made a comment two years earlier. It was, it was, but you know, and then years later, I mean, as I did uh, total sports, you know, Hugh basically ran the MSS Well, Danny Machocha was trying to assume greater responsibility. It was Danny's line, you know, if you're going to ask me to make me, uh, you know, cook you the dinner, I got to be able to pick out, uh, you know, I got to be able to pick up the groceries as well. And Danny was gaining some power, and Hugh was ready to step away a bit. The guy that got screwed all of us was Rick Campbell, and Rick Campbell was a pretty good coach. And we've seen that now for success with Ottawa. Rick has many of the same uh, mannerisms, but I was a huge fan. I admit it. Uh, I have a bias there. It's hard not to when you grew up and, you know, the Eskimos were, I was 11 to 16 during the time that they won those breakups. And uh, that was an incredible time to be a, you know, a, a young sports fan in, in this marketplace. Uh, the others coming in the NHL, upsetting the Canadians in the 81 playoffs. The Eskimos win six straight until 82. Uh, Warren Moon was the MVP in 83, and Pete Catella was brought in as head coach. And ironically enough, his son ended up going to Harry England, too. So, and I was there for that. So it was, it was pretty cool how there, there was this theme around the Getty Boys were there as well. And they had the connection uh, with, the, with the father, who would later go on to be premier of the province. And so it was always in the back of my mind. And, and you couldn't help if you were from Everton, you know this. I mean, I was a knothole game kid going back into the early 70s. So, uh, at that time, there, there wasn't the separation. I mean, you think of the money now at the NHL. You, you think of, we're talking about Jordan Everly. might be the number one story in the offseason for the Edmonton Oilers. Jordan Everly makes more than the entire, uh, you know, SMS uh, salary allotment yeah. for the Edmonton players. It, it wasn't like that back then. There, there wasn't this great separate. In fact, if anything, there was no cap for the Eskimos, and so they could buy other teams Canadians. But he was very good at his job, and he had big power towards the end. It basically ran the Canadian Football League by the time that I sort of got a chance to get into it to be a broadcaster. 
Yeah, it was great to it was great to talk to him, and he's going to be honored at the game on Sunday. And like I said, going into the uh, Edmonton Hall, Hall of Fame on Monday, so that's going to be cool. That that ceremony at the at the Windspear. Well, one other thing we we should touch on, Bob, kind of tied into that. You mentioned that the salary, and don't and don't forget. And people under the age of thirty are probably going to roll their eyes and think we're being crazy or being old timers. But don't forget, Bob, there was a time, and it might have, I think it still existed probably into maybe the beginning of that Eskimo dynasty. Uh, and we, A, there's the Warren Moon story where because he was black, they, they didn't think he could play quarterback in the NFL. But sometimes pro football players would come to the CFL because they could make more money than the NFL. Like, that, it's crazy to think of that now. Bob, well, it, it was a common occurrence uh, in the late 50s and early, early 60s. And then the, Mount, the Montreal Alouettes in particular, when they signed guys like Vince Paragano, James Scott, uh, Tom Cousineau, uh, those were the three big high-profile signings. And the Alouettes were sort of the Eskimo nemesis. They met the three great cups. Uh, you know, 1977 through 79, they met three consecutive great cup games. They were, they were spending big money. So that was the case now. Now, of course, it's not even, you know, and, and, and the irony is the league's got a better TV deal today, but the Eskimos really, like in 1982-83, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hazard a guess that the Eskimos in, in the 82 season maybe drew 50,000 fans a game. I'm pretty sure the average was over 50, yeah. Yeah, you know, and now we're looking at if they can get to 30, uh, they're doing they're doing pretty good. So it was, it was a different situation. Television's played a huge factor. Uh, the NFL has known how to market itself, and there, there's a I didn't think, as a 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old, I didn't think that the, like, we all thought at that time the CFL was the better game, it was the more exciting game, but I didn't think there was a significant drop-off at all. In, CFL. in many respects, I thought there were some better players in the Canadian Football League, and maybe I was naive at that time. I don't think kids today, though, that are 14 to 18 think that way, and they've kind of lost, in my opinion, despite the efforts of, you know, partners like Chorus, I think they've lost a bit of that uh, identity in terms of the respect for how good the players were in the Canadian Football League from during the time that Campbell was a coach. Yeah, fair comment. And and I think sometimes there's maybe a, a lack of respect for some of the guys that are. I mean, one thing that bugs me, it's just like, oh, the CFL is a bunch of little guys. Okay, fair enough. You know, it has the reputation of adopting the pinball Clemens of the world, but... I mean, I just say to anybody, stand next to Mike Riley. I mean, who, who, who? You know what, Bob? Who may have been good enough to bounce around as a as a clipboard holder in the NFL, but he wanted to play. Uh, I, but I mean, a lot of the guys in the CFL are big. The difference is now the guys in the NFL are giants, right? I mean, you get six five, six six quarterbacks in the NFL, and the the CFL guys are six three, six two. Well, we talked. We you know we talked about Campbell that you know that. Five in a row, great cup run from '78 to '82, and Warren Moon came here in '78. You know, and I remember watching Washington in the Rose Bowl game that year. So it, it was, you know, and at that time, you know, it, a guy like Warren Moon had to establish himself in the Canadian Football League, and he was flat out better than some of the quarterbacks in the NFL. But there was, a, you know, there was a prejudicial bias that worked against him. So I, we don't have that anymore. So you still, every year, you still have. You have guys that maybe washed out the NCAA or didn't totally develop. Uh, you know, the Eskimos had the wide receiver that uh, played with uh, Johnny Manziel at Texas A&M. Uh, this is a guy that's Darrell Walker. Darrell, I mean, there's a guy that had to sort of 
put himself back in the radar screen. And then the other, frankly, the other issue is that sometimes guys have challenges off the field, yeah. and they come to the CFL and clean up their act and show that they can play. So that's a factor as well. Well, we've gone 12 minutes here. We haven't even talked about the orders. <laughs> no, we're going to. Uh, well, that was good. I, I enjoyed that discussion. Uh, Seven sixteen. Bob Stoffer joining us on Inside Sports. Yet Spencer Fu on your show uh, earlier today. Uh, I didn't play the clip yet, but I, I will. Uh, still, the, still looking at the Oilers as an NCAA free agent, uh, former Bonneville Pontiac, by the way. Union College, sixty-two points in thirty-eight games, uh, huge season. I mean, is there a comparable to? L- let me ask you this: compare because everybody's Kajula was the forward free agent signing. What's Foo's skill set to Kajula's skill set? Can you compare them that way? I, I think uh, Kajula's quicker. Um, and might be a little bit more aggressive of a player. Uh, and I think Kajula might have a better shot. But there's a degree of smoothness in Spencer Foo's game. Uh, there's no question Foo's a smart kid. He clearly exhibited that during the course of the interview. I do not believe that the Edmonton Oilers are necessarily in the driver's seat with the player. I mean, I, they're right there, but I never, in these, like, put it this way when they got Kajula last year, I would have handicapped Edmonton second or third, and they ended up getting Drake Kajula. I, I will, you know, as as close to Benning, I would say Benning. I would have handicapped Edmonton no lower than second, but probably first. I would say I probably got, uh, you know, Clue in the two slash three hole. Like I think that there's one team that's really, and there, you know, I've, I've had an opportunity to have some conversations in and around some of the people that are involved in Spencer's life. So that's, you know. The, it's interesting that basically the agencies, an Alberta-based agency as well. Uh, there's lots of reasons why it makes sense, but I do think that we shouldn't be naive and believe it. Maybe there's some other organizations that maybe had more time on their hands. I mean, Spencer did a lot of the visits, that sort of thing, in April, and the orders were pretty busy in April mm-hmm. as opposed to the past year. So, uh, you know, I... If, if they get him, I think he's going to need some time in the minors. And I just so that's why I brought up the three Pittsburgh guys during the interview because to me that really is the model. Like Kajula was so good in preseason, there was no way you could keep him down. Like he flat out outplayed guys, and then he got hurt against Winnipeg, and then he got a more significant injury trying to come back from the initial injury, and that's what knocked him out of the lineup for six weeks. And I don't think we really ever saw what Drake had until the playoffs. You know, until we got into that final. Uh, four or five games against Anaheim. In Foo's case, you know, it's, there's no guarantee that he'd be here at the start of the year. If he was to commit to Edmonton, that might not be the worst thing for him. He might need some time in the minors to transition. But I do think, look, I think Drake Kajula is going to take a huge step forward this year. I, mean, I think he's going to be at least a 20-goal scorer for the Oilers. Uh, I think Foo could be a guy, if he if he goes to an Edmonton, uh, maybe a Detroit uh, place like that, he might need some time in the AHL for the first half of the year, but I do think that he can bring some offense as the season progresses because I think he's such a smart kid. I think he's going to find a way. Yeah, that's going to be one to fall. And, and the advantage for Kajula is he can play any position and he can play anywhere in the lineup, right? At least maybe he's not a permanent first-line player, but as he showed in the playoffs, you could put him on McDavid's wing, really either wing. And, and he'd be perfectly suitable there, I think, over a limited number of games. Well, that's fair. Reed, look at look at the numbers for Spencer Fu, first-year AJHL, second-year AJHL, mm-hmm. first couple of years in NCAA, the third year. That's the other sign to me that he takes a little bit of time 
in terms of taking that step. And the other guy who brought that up with me, ironically enough, was Drake Kajula. The one thing that works to Pooh's advantage is he is a right shot. And there's a premium on guys like that. So uh, that's, that's why I think he's going to get there. Uh, but again, I think that, uh, you know, in Kajula's case, I fully expect him to make an impact right from the get go this year. If Fluda were to commit to the orders, we'll see. It's wide open. Like, it's, there's an opportunity for a guy to go grab it. I don't think there's any debate about that. And he has to, because of his age, he has to get a two year deal, right? That's, that's correct. Yeah, okay. Hey, Bob, thanks for checking in tonight. Fun conversation. Oilers now noon to 2. You're back at it on Monday. We'll talk to you I'm soon, not, buddy. I'm not back at it. Uh, Brendan Ulrich's got the show for the next week. Okay. Uh, but maybe you can help him out once in a while. I'd be and, happy to. And uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. I don't well, – well, well, you know, I think just one more thing, Reid. Uh, if Pittsburgh wins on Sunday night, I think you might see some activity start to get going here. You know, like the league kind of kiboshed. Uh, Mike George McPhee, when we were in Buffalo last week, George said that, uh, hey, you might see some trades here this week coming up. That didn't happen. I think it was a large part because the Stanley Cup playoffs were continuing. I think that's pushed things back. But I think we might eventually start to see some moves here with Vegas with two or three teams where they take on a bad contract to get themselves a the first-round pick. Look no further than maybe the St. Louis Blues in uh, that scenario or potentially the Dallas Stars. Okay, cool. Thanks, Bob. Have a great weekend, buddy. Yep, see you. Bye-bye. Bob Stoffer checking in tonight. Oilers now host here on 630 Chet, analyst for our Oilers broadcast as well. By the way, Cleveland storming out of the gate, 24-9, leaving Golden State four and a half minutes into the first quarter, game four of the NBA Finals. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Eskimo Stampeders on Sunday, 3.30 for the pregame show. Game starts at 5, and then the Eskimos are right back at it on Thursday for a preseason game in Winnipeg. All the Eskimos games for you throughout the season here on 6.30 Ched and our uh, chorus stations, and of course, we're the play-by-play voice of the Oilers as well. 30-20, Cleveland leading Golden State. Four minutes left in the first quarter. Cleveland must win to stay alive and force the NBA Finals to a fifth game. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Hope you have a great weekend planned. I can just barely see out the window. Still looks pretty uh, breezy and overcast. I was uh, talking with Rob Brown. Did get a round of golf in today, and that is the uh, steadiest rain I've ever played in <laughs> over the last three holes. By the over the last couple of holes, uh, I, I wasn't so much worried about hitting the ball straight. Well, I mean, I was, but the first obstacle I was worried about was just not losing the grip on the club because it was pretty slick to try to hand on, uh, hang on to the club making a swing, but I got through the holes uh, okay. I actually had a rare satisfactory round. So I can't argue with that. Paintball added to the Summer Olympics. Oh, that would be fun. That'd That's be a really text, fun. text yep. to 630-630. I, I, I guess skateboarding is being added. I, I assume they'll do uh, tricks because they do snowboarding. Right? What do they call that? A half pipe? Yeah, I would. I would assume that this would be a, a similar structure to what they have at the X Games. I think that's oh, probably course. why they added it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it'll probably be the same athletes that you see every year at the X Games competing now. So for there you go. So they'll go down medals. the slope and go up and do the air or whatever. Yeah, they call it'll be a it half and pipe and 
all sorts of stuff, probably. All right. Yeah. Well, could be uh, could be good for TV, I guess. I think so. Do they so. wipe yeah. out a lot? I, I uh, yeah. The the wipeouts are really like. There's one online, I think, from one of the X Games a few years ago, where a guy was trying to do a trip, and the uh, the skateboard shoots out from underneath his feet, and the guy's probably about 50, 60 feet above the ground, they and just goes right. Here. Seriously? Yeah, they get pretty high up. Yeah. Jeez. But they, goes, do they wear padding? Plant, right? they got to wear Final helmets, floor. right? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And I assume they wear elbow and shoulder pads. Yeah. i got to be honest with you. I am uh, pretty uh, ignorant about the sport of skateboarding and how it would be judged. But they're doing flips and twists and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I don't know. That's Yeah, it you, could also you, open up you a just whole new the controversy, boats. right? So Are they going to build the, the half pipe in a national park? <laughs> I think that'd be a great place for it. <laughs> Seven thirty-six inside sports on six thirty. Chat. Uh, this guy has been in the Olympics five times, and he's going to be inducted into the Edmonton Sports Hall of Fame on Monday. Retired race walker Tim Barrett. Tim, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Well, let you? me say congratulations. It's going to be fun on Monday. You're going to be going into the uh, Edmonton Hall of Fame, obviously for your uh, great career as a, way, a race walker. You were in five Olympic Games and, and many other accomplishments. But uh, before we talk about those, just, I mean, how did you feel when you got, you got notified that, that you were going into the Edmonton Hall of Fame? Uh, surprised was the first thing, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and a bit of a uh, bit of shock. Well, who else is in there right now? I'm thinking, oh, that's some pretty uh, pretty elite company, right? <laughs> Well, it's it's well deserved. Uh, I mean, I mentioned all your Olympic appearances, and and uh, I mean, I'm looking through a list of some of your accomplishments. Commonwealth Games, you, you got a was it was it 2002? You actually got a bronze medal in the Commonwealth Games. Yeah, 02, I got a bronze, and then back, way back 94, I got a silver. Okay, so you got a couple medals there. So yeah, uh, you, you've had an incredible career. I, I mean, I got to ask you because you know race walking is one of those sports, and I, I've, I've talked about this with other Olympic sports. It's one of those things we pay attention to kind of every four years, right? When it's or it, or it's in the Commonwealth or Olympic Games. But for you, it's it's been your life. So how did it? How did you adopt race walking? You know, as your thing. Well, I I pretty much tried everything in track and field. Yeah. I, I, competed in every single event in track and field and this was the one that uh, I was kind of better at than all the others um, that's the thing about track and field it's like just about everyone there's an event that they can uh, they can hone in on and uh, see how good they can get at it and this 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 was mine for, for better or worse <laughs> so were you always into distance and endurance type events Tim yeah, pretty much. I mean, I started sort of cross country and middle distance, and yeah, you know, what would be junior high over here. Um, this was growing up in England, and um, sort of gravitated towards the longer distances. I I was never much of a a real speedster on the with the sprints, um, so I found my uh, my strength was in, sort of in the in the longer events like cross country uh, running, and um, when I when I tried race walking, I had uh, fairly fairly quick success. Um, part of that was probably the, the lack of depth in some of the fields, but uh, <laughs> uh, you, you can only beat those that show up. That's right. right. <laughs> well, I think you're being a little modest because you, you obviously had a world class <laughs> career. But l- let me ask you about race walking because people, you know, see it on TV and they're like, "Man, that's that." 
quirky little stride and right you know what was it like learning that and making sure you're not because i know there are rules to make sure you're not quote unquote running what was it like learning the stride yeah it wasn't actually that uh it's, it's not as awkward as it looks when you when you see it on tv or you know if you're lucky enough to see it in person um it's uh like if you're told yeah just walk fast uh and the younger you start usually the better um because i've done a lot of um clinics with younger kids uh, and some some of them just get it right away you say okay just walk from here to there like you know 50 meters down the down the gym um and you just give them one pointer which is you know point your toes up in the air and some 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 people get it right away um and if they've seen it um sort of in the flesh uh they've got a sense as to what what they think it should look like um and you just kind of go from there. So it's 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 not as awkward as it kind of looks. Okay. <laughs> so I'm sure you've heard all the uh, all the what is that and how is this a sport and oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you usually handle those? <laughs> well, I mean it's it's uh, it's a it's a sport that's uh, in this country. I mean, it's, uh, right now we've got quite a bit of success with uh, the guys out in Vancouver doing doing some pretty amazing things internationally. So, um, but uh, around the world there are pockets where where it is very strong. Um, and so I, you know, just just because it's not a, a big sport here, like you go over to uh, some places in the rest of the world and they 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 say the same thing about curling. It's like curling is that a sport? Right. <laughs> uh, not not to not to denigrate any curlers out there because I know there are lots, um, or or even hockey. Jeez, um, is hockey on ice? No. Right. <laughs> uh, I mean, just because it's not in the consciousness of most most Canadians, it doesn't mean to say it's not practiced fairly fairly widely around the world. So, um, so you know, pe- people can you know people attract all, all kinds of sports. I mean, and, and I don't want to pick on any, but. Uh, you can probably think of a few examples yourself, and so can the listeners. But uh, we think, yeah, really, that's in the Olympics. And we just heard today, actually, on uh, IOC made their announcement of the of the events and sports that are going to be in the Tokyo Olympics. Uh, and there's uh, there's some new ones. Um, I mean, three on three basketball got the nod today, and which is you know pretty exciting for basketball. Um, uh, there's a couple of mixed relays. I think track and field got a new uh, mixed relay. Mixed two men, two women in the 4 by 400 So, um, And then swimming got a couple of new events. Uh, and then there's some other more ex- obscure ones, which probably most people have not didn't even recognize was going in the Olympics, like speed climbing and surfing. And, yeah. So the, there are all kinds of sports that uh, are practiced around the world. Um, and race walking is one of them. Tim Barrett joining us on Inside Sports. He's going into the Edmonton Hall of Fame on uh, Monday. Uh, obviously, we're talking about his uh, great career as, as a race walker. So, did, but tell us a little bit here about Edmonton, because you mentioned you, you grew up in England. So how did Edmonton yeah. become home, and, and what did this city mean to your career? Well, I at first, I moved here to go to school, to go to U of A, to do my uh, doctorate at, um, at U of A in the, in the fact present recreation um, and business um, and sort of the business end of sports as well as the studying there uh, so that's how I ended up here I slowly moved west uh, started my uh, Canadian uh, part of my life 
in Kingston in Ontario um, at Queen's University and then I moved from there to Saskatoon which is where my my longtime coach was um, based and I, I was there for a year and then I sort of moved a little bit further west to end up in Edmonton to, to, to go to U of A um, and have since made it home for the last 26 years, I guess. So, yeah, I've been here a good chunk of my life, half my life now. So where did yeah. you train when it was minus 30 out on December 14th? <laughs> Uh, which which year would that have yeah. been? <laughs> well, I'm just assuming every year had a minus 30. Okay. Yeah. Well, because <laughs> some years I would have been plowing the streets, on, <laughs> plowing through the streets in Edmonton on December 14th. Um, yeah, if it was minus 30, that was actually my cutoff earlier in my career. It's like, minus 30, I can still get outside. Right. Um, and then as I got a bit older and wiser, it became minus 25 and then down to minus 20. And then, um, so, so it depended on what, what part of my career I would be, uh, what, what I would be doing. So earlier on, I'd be out, out on the trail if there was clear snow, or I'd be on the ski trail doing some cross-country, a bit of cross-training. Um, as I got a bit older and wiser, um, I, would, uh, I would go indoors. Uh, I'd be on a treadmill um, or doing many laps around one of, the, one of the indoor tracks in the city. So, um, so uh, or... Some years, December fourteenth, I would have been out of uh, out of the country, somewhere a little warmer. Somewhere a little warmer and working out there. Yeah. Would you would you um, would would you train every day? I mean, when you were in the heart of it, would you do ten k, twenty k? I mean, what was a regular I'd, day for you? Yeah, I I, I train full, full on, so six days a week, and usually have one day where I it would be called a rest day, but I'd still be doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would average about 30 kilometers a day. Wow. So between 30 and 35. Um, so um, in in my peak sort of build-up phase for, for a 50K race. What's the, uh, for, for a race walker, what's the part of the body that you got to watch that would wear down? Is it feet, knees, hips? What are we looking at? Well, it's actually, um, there's nothing in particular because it's, it's way less impact than running. So you, you can, you know, I was lucky enough to, to have a, a fairly long career. Uh, and, and part of that was because it, it doesn't really wear down anybody the way, especially running does, because you're not pounding the same way. Um, but towards the end of my career, I was having some, uh, you know, I'd have little injuries here and there, but uh, nothing nothing in particular. And like people always say, oh, what, how are your hips now? It's like, well, my hips are fine. Because um, it doesn't, I mean, it looks like they're, they're doing all kinds of things weird when you, when you look at it and you don't really know what a race walk is doing. But they're actually doing a, uh, an exaggerated rotation, um, which is, although it doesn't look like it, it's actually a natural movement. So it's it's just extending what you would normally do okay. um, to get that little bit extra on each stride, a um, little bit of length extra on the stride. And when you think uh, that uh, Top Wolf is doing about 200 strides every minute, uh, if you can get uh, even one centimeter further on every stride, that's, that's two meters a minute. Oh wow! Yeah, that adds up over almost four hours for 50k. So when you're introduced <laughs> on Monday, are you going to race walk across the stage or uh, 
more traditional walk. <laughs> it, it'll be it, it'll be fairly slow if I race walk these days. <laughs> I might hobble. For the race hobble. There we go. Yeah. Well, Tim, uh, it was great to have you on the show, and I, I know we had you on last summer during the Olympics as well. Yeah. So I hope we could find uh, more reasons to talk to you down the road. But enjoy the so. ceremony Thank on you. Monday. Well deserved. Thank you very much. Thank you. Great to talk to Tim Barrett going into the Edmonton Sports Hall of Fame on Monday along with former Eskimos coach, GM, president, Hugh Campbell. Also being inducted, Lori Eisler, longtime coach of the Pandas volleyball team, and Sheila O'Kelly, who's been crucial to the Edmonton triathlon community in getting us world-class events over the years. 748 Inside Sports on 630 This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Letestu, a former Bonneville Pontiac, as is Spencer Fu, one of the top college free agents being pursued by NHL teams, including the Edmonton Oilers. Get the full interview with him on the Oilers Now page on 630Chet.com. He was on with Bob Stoffer earlier today. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thank you so much for tuning in. We've had a lot of fun tonight, some good interviews and uh, some good suggestions from you about what should be in the Olympics. Now, I love this one coming in last minute from Lloyd, who says, My hometown, Macklin, in Saskatchewan, hosts what they claim is the World Bunnock Championship every August long weekend. It's only proper that an Olympic champion should also be declared. Bunnock, I've talked about before, uh, awesome sport. We used, to, we used to cover the World Bunnock Championships in the Lloyd Minster. I hope they still do it. And that's the game of horse ankle bones. They're now replicas. They're not the actual uh, horse ankles. And you throw a horse ankle bone at a row. I can't remember how far it is, but a row of bones across the pitch from you. And whoever knocks theirs down first wins. And it's a huge event in Macklin. It's an absolute blast. So thank you very much for texting in. I will say this, though. I think of all my suggestions for sports that should be added to the Summer Olympics, I got to go with one that came in early in the show. And that is uh, cow tipping. I, I just think that has has everything. You need quickness. You need uh, uh, you know. You need power. You, you got to know how to work with the animal or surprise the animal. I don't know. <laughs> and I, I think it would be a, make a great uh, television event. You could put you could mount a camera on the the cows' heads. You know, so you get a good view of the of the tipping. Rob suggesting miniature golf. <laughs> Uh, that'd be over. They finally put real golf, well, full, full-size golf. I guess. I guess it's either golf or miniature golf. It's not full-size golf and miniature golf. Re- full-size golf is just called golf. They finally put golf in the Olympics for uh, Rio. And when was that last year? Was it J- uh, Justin Rose got yeah. the uh, got the gold medal? That was a that was a good tournament to watch. Actually, the Eskimos news today: another feisty practice. Uh, offensive lineman Tony Washington got. Uh, Asked to leave by head coach Jason Moss, who then gave his players quite the uh, spirited address before storming off the field. Uh, quarterback Mike Riley says, you know, it's just time for the Eskimos to actually play a game here. Yeah, this has been a longer stretch than normal, you know, um, practicing against your own guys. During the season, it never lasts this long, and if it does, it's a bye week, and, you know, you're you're not actually hitting each other during the season. Here during training camp, things are getting physical, of course, um, but it's we're going to be the last team to play a preseason game, so by that time, yeah, I think our guys are ready to, to see 
a different team and go against them and hit them. It's expected, obviously, with the explanation that you gave. Is there a fine line still, or is it hard to find that fine line when, let's face it, this is the most this is a terrible time of year for you guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really tough as a quarterback taking three step drops all day and it's demanding, but, uh, <laughs> no, for the guys in the trenches, it's obviously a much different story. Um, you know, in terms of if there's a fine line, yeah, there is, you know, you want to see the passion, the intensity and guys flying around and hitting each other. But at the same time, everything that we do here is based on winning a championship mm-hmm. and, doing what's the best thing for the team so when those skirmishes trickle over carry over and waste time and now we can't get our last rep offensively into practice on a play that we haven't ran yet that we needed to work on you know that certainly is not making our team better so you know it's yeah you have to do a fine line between uh having intensity and and pushing over to being selfish and hurting the team so um you know some guys obviously still have to figure that out but uh, us as vets that's our job to make sure that they understand that Jason Moss doesn't do anything for no reason. He was just blowing off steam for his, his health there. I mean, it's a player's job to respond now. Yeah. Get things in order before. I mean, there's a pretty big opponent coming in. Yeah. Yeah, no question. I mean, he's he's the captain of the ship, you know, and uh, whatever he says goes. And I don't I don't care who who it is, whether it's, you know, your starting quarterback down to your, you know, fifth string kicker. If the head coach says something, that's what goes. So, um, you know, I, I can understand why he was upset because like I said more than anything it was wasting time out here and we're not getting better when we're wasting time everything we do is to win a championship and that wasn't helping so um, you know when things like this do happen you just want to make sure that you respond well as a team so you know again us veterans need to make sure that we have a little chat and get everybody on the same page so that we can refocus and, and be ready for Sunday's game. And that game Sunday against Calgary, preseason action on 6.30, Chad. 3.30 pregame show, game starts at 5. How about game four of the NBA Finals? Cleveland scored 49 points in the first quarter. They lead Golden State 54-35, 90 seconds into the second quarter. Thanks to the producer of the show, Dave Campbell, the studio producer, Kellen Kennedy, My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks to everybody who texted in as well. Fun show. I will be back Monday at 6. Matthew Benning from the Oilers in studio. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.